Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. You know, if you've ever watched spy movies or played poker, you will know that what we do can sometimes say more about us than what we say. And to hear how this can feed into marketing science, we are joined today by a CIM course director, Katie Hart, who is an expert in something called neuromarketing. Katie, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Ben. Yeah, delighted to be here. What is neuromarketing? It sounds fascinating. It's not, I must admit, something that I personally have heard of before, but you can tell us a little bit about it and how you got interested in it. Absolutely. Yeah, don't worry. You are not on your own. There's lots of people <laughs> haven't heard about it, but you will. I promise you, you will. Yeah. Um, I may be biased, but yes, it is a fantastic and really fascinating part of marketing. Um, essentially, it applies neuroscience, which is the study of our nervous system and perhaps more typically the study of our brain. And it applies that into a marketing context. So if you think about how we perceive the world, how we interact with the world, how we make sense of the world around us. There is a huge amount of information that comes in through our brains. Um, and that is really where we, where everything happens. So where we form memories, where we decide what things are going to attract our attention and what aren't, um, where we make buying decisions. All of these are processes that go on within the brain. So the more you know and understand those processes, the more able you are to, to really optimise how you do your marketing. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, when you're looking at it, you're presumably, you're trying to take marketing to a level above asking people, asking consumers or asking customers what they want or what they need. And you're using different techniques, aren't you, to find out what they're responding to, what their triggers are. Um, how do you do it? What are some of the techniques that you use? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the, um, the the sort of best evidence we have at the moment says something like 95% of what goes into the decisions we make is subconscious. That's oh information God. we don't have access to. So oh as many focus groups or interviews or surveys as we want to send out are never going to be able to interrogate that 95%. But in neuromarketing, we can. And as you say, we use physiological responses, which are um, naturally occurring. Our body just does it automatically. So without needing to register on our conscious threshold, our brain interprets things, makes decisions about things and changes our body physiologically according to the way it is interpreting what it sees. Wow. So we use loads of techniques to to monitor those and to capture those changes. And that is the basis of us being able to make much more accurate predictions about the way people really are responding to what they're seeing in front of them. So what sort of triggers? What are those sorts of responses that you can measure? And give us some examples. Um, we can measure things like, so probably at its at its easiest accessible level, um, uh, galvanic skin response. So changes in electrical conductivity on the surface of the skin. So we use, um, they're basically mini lie detector tests. Uh, yeah. We can put pads on people's fingers and we will be able to detect the tiny changes which the body triggers 
and it will trigger that in response to either being um, aroused, excited by what it sees, or perhaps eliciting a fear response and it and it being um, anxious as a result of what it sees. So we so, sweat more, we become warmer, our skin temperature or the, or the texture of our skin actually changes as we respond to triggers. Or yeah, and it is to... remarkably fast, Ben. So we can put these onto somebody's fingers and we can show them something. And within fractions of a second of them seeing it, our body goes into that instant response. And it, you know, it, you know yourself, if you experience something that's stressful, you know, your palms start sweating. Well, that is an extreme response. Your body has changed, you know, a huge amount before it's got to that point. And by using these technologies, we can pick up on those tiny microscopic changes. It's absolutely extraordinary that you said that because my palms actually are sweating now for the simple <laughs> reason is that, as you know, before we came on this show, we had a technological failure. Uh, and I realise that you're on a tight schedule for the recording. And I was worried that I wasn't going to get back on to the platform that we use to, to record this show. Thankfully, we have. But I can feel this like clamminess in my hands. My body is telling me that there was a concern. There was something I was worried about. There was an anxiety. Presumably it works the other ways. It's something we're excited about, something that we're wanting to buy or we see something online that a shirt or a pair of trousers or a dress that we really like. We respond in a positive way. Our bodies tell us something before what we say tells us. Absolutely. Something. And it tells us a huge amount. And that's what we tap into when we do neuromarketing. So, yes, we can do the conductivity on the surface of the skin. We also use um, very often we use eye tracking technology. So, for instance, if I'm showing um, a, a pilot for an advertisement or I might be showing a web page layout and capturing people's responses to that, what we want to see is actually which part of the screen in front of a participant were they looking at when they responded that way. So if we are picking up a, um, a stress response or an excitement response, I need to know which part of the layout triggered that. Was it, mm. was it the font? Was it the call to action button? Was it the image? If it was the image, which part of the image is it that's triggered that? So very often we overlay things like eye tracking so we can get really specific and drill down into the, the tiny nuances of actually what has triggered that response. The inference from all this, of course, is quite interesting because, yes, if you're doing a bit of online shopping, you're, you're going to probably get all of those sorts of responses at different times. You're going to see something great that you really want to buy that excites you. Uh, it seems like the perfect item. There'll be other experiences which are negative. You, you'll see something, the way something's worded or the, the buying regimen is, is confusing, which is causing a stress. You think, I don't like this. This is not a pleasure. It's not something I'm enjoying. And you'll be, you're going to be able to track how people's eyes move across the screen to work out where those stimuluses are good and bad. But the inference of this, of course, is that consumers aren't very good at telling us this stuff. Because if they were good at telling us this stuff, we would have no need for this uh, science, this neuroscience absolutely. Uh, and, the, and this complicated technology. Yeah, absolutely that. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm, uh, I do this all day, every day. And mm. at the end of the day, I get in my car and I go home and I, you know, I feel as though I'm in control of my own choices and decisions. And of course, I'm acutely aware of why I'm doing the things I do. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. Um, it turns out none of us. Yeah, as I say, none of us is. I think it was um, David Ogilvy who came up with the, the famous quote that customers don't think how they feel. They don't say what they think and they don't do what they say. 
and haven't yeah. we all been on the end of market research where you've come you know you've had a lovely result you may have um you know piloted a number of different packaging designs or something put them through some focus groups you've come up with your results you then launch it into the marketplace and you don't get the traction that you were predicting mm. or that was anticipated and it's exactly because of this so when we're doing neuromarketing we I was going to say we put all that to one side. We don't. Quite often I run the two side by side. So a lot of the work I do uses EEG, which is electroencephalography. So these are the you I'm sure you've pictured them. Well, I was like going to say those. big word, big word alert. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I won't, no, no, I won't we, like, we like big word, we like big words on this show. It's a great one. But just for the audience, repeat that again. So we <laughs> it's electroencephalography. Right, EEG, because we like yeah, acronyms yeah. in marketing as well, don't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, essentially, it's where we put sensors on top of somebody's scalp. So right. you might have seen them like glorified sort of um, swimming hats with loads of sensors on and loads of wires coming out the back. Um, what they do is they record the electrical activity in the brain and our brain uses electrical impulses to communicate. So when it's sending messages between neurons, we get um, electrical activity and EEG headsets pick those up. So what we very often find is that when we're doing research, I'll put an EEG headset on somebody and we'll show them a number of options. Or as I say, I'll give them some content to read or um, I give them a, a particular piece of footage to watch and I can capture all of their responses to that. And quite often what I also do at the end of that is slightly more conventional market research. So I might ask them how they felt about it or which ones they can recall seeing. And what we know is you end up with two quite different responses. So right. what we report, what we declare gives us one set of data and what I'm recording on the EEG or the physiological responses gives another picture completely. And over time, when you look at the two of those, it's the physiological response that is the predictor of future behaviour. Much so, more likely to predict sales, et cetera, than what people actually say, which begs the question, why bother doing a survey in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, we've got some we've we've had some lovely results with people when we have actually done the two side by side. In right. fact, one client I was working with, we also did some A-B testing in the real world. And it was really lovely to see that the physiological responses I got through scanning brains and the A-B testing aligned. So what people right. actually did in the real world lined up and the anomaly was what we said. Mm. And we we know through neuroscience that actually what happens is we have, because I've talked about this 95% of decision which is unconscious to us what happens is that produces almost a result or a response and then if we are asked about it we retrospectively rationalize it so we right. will come up with a reason but it's very often completely removed from actually what you know what our brain is showing us what is really going on inside we feel as humans that we have to justify our purchase, that we have to say why we needed this thing. Whereas, of course, as we all know, and as you will, I'm sure, tell us that shopping isn't always rational. You know, people want to buy things for a whole bunch of subconscious reasons, instinctive reasons, if you like, that don't necessarily beg a real genuine rational justification. Absolutely. In fact, I would go so far as to say we almost never buy anything rationally. And that's yeah. the really interesting thing is that's B2B 
as well as B2C. Um, so much as we might have, you know, a really protracted decision making process and bring in lots of people from lots of different departments. Each of those people is a human being that has essentially this same sort of hardwire. I, I quite often talk about the fact that we're running on caveman software. You know, we mm. <laughs> we are um, our brains are making decisions for us that are completely not fit for the world that we live in today just because of our evolutionary past and your stress response to the tech issue we had earlier is yep. exactly that that stress response is designed to serve you if you are attacked or you know there's a wildebeest stampede approaching you or something it doesn't help you when the tech breaks down <laughs> no it is completely irrational as well because there are plenty of countermeasures we can quickly take to solve that with the technology and yet it still delivers this wildebeest fight or flight response telling me that really i, I ought to be panicking in this situation yeah. Uh, we're not very good then, are we, as humans? We're, what you're doing is you're, you are really tapping into our basic instincts, aren't you, as a neuroscientist, as a neuromarketer, because that is what works. Absolutely it is. And it's, you know, so much of our day, if you think about what we do all day, every day, while you were just asking that question, I took a swig of drink from my mug. Now, yep. if I had to manually compute the process of that, you know, knowing exactly how to get the muscles in my arm and hand to reach out to just where it is, to put just the right amount of pressure on it so I don't, you know, throw the cup over my shoulder or I'm not crushing it under my hand either, to understand about the temperature sensitivity of it, to lift it up, be able to find my lips and find my mouth and not tip it all down my shirt front. It is just phenomenal what we do all day, every day, automatically, thankfully, without us having to, to consciously manipulate it. And so this is what the brain does. It's running a huge program navigating us through our world all day, every day, without trying to bother us and, and really utilise the expensive resource that is our conscious capacity. So our brain typically weighs about 2% of your body weight, somewhere in the region of that, and yet it consumes about 20% of your incoming resources. So your food, yeah. your drink, your oxygen is diverted to support the brain. And the vast majority of that is activities which involve the prefrontal cortex, which are those decision-making processes, the planning, the organization, the really consciously applied processes. So wherever possible, our brain tries to preserve that and tries to enable us to do things without needing to apply that. I'm a huge fan of our brain. I think it is the most amazing organ and it does a huge amount for us. But yeah, we are very naive about the extent to which we feel we influence and control our behaviours because our brain is, is doing the vast majority of it for us. I mean, it is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? And it's something that we really need to understand as marketers i mean firstly on your drink example i mean i read something quite recently about that's one of the main critiques of ai is that you can get ai to do all sorts of stuff you get it to churn out copy as we all know we've all done chat dpt to death etc 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 but nobody has done something which is quite simple which is to put an ai robot in the middle of a street and just say to it okay go and make a cup of coffee in any house that you choose yeah any human being could do that. They, 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 may, they may not like banging a neighbour's door and asking to make a cup of coffee, but they, they would be capable of doing it without thinking. You know, as long as, long as someone opened the door to them and let them in, they could work out where the coffee was, put the kettle on 
uh, know how to make the cup of coffee, it would be dead easy. It'd be child's play. But yet no AI can do that. We've got all of these complex operations which we don't think are complex. But on the other hand, we are living almost in a fantasy world that when we go into a shop, we're doing lots of things which are subconscious that we don't have a great deal of control over. So we go into the shop, the customer goes into the shop, purely picking the dress off the rail is a very complex operation that a robot would be struggled to program to do. She does that, but then actually deciding which something to buy, she thinks she's being rational, but you're saying she is not being rational. Something inside her is doing it for her. And as marketers, we need to tap in to those triggers. My point precisely. Thank you for articulating it so well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the from the moment of walking into that shop, you know, the first thing is we have every second we have something like 11 million pieces of information come into our brain through our senses every second. So that's 11 million, another 11 million. And I can't even speak fast enough. Another 11 million. So actually, when we walk in there, our brain is deciding, our brain is literally scanning that environment and deciding which bits are relevant to us, which bits capture our attention. And as marketers, that's our first point is actually, how do we get noticed? How do we stand out? How do we get to be the, you know, the billboard that's noticed on the on the side of the London Underground, for instance, or how we how do we get to be the product on the shelf that somebody actually notices? So even from that moment, before we've even thought about picking up the dress and deciding whether we're going to try it on or purchase it or not, how we navigate our way around the shop and what we notice in the process of doing that is not under our control. It's something that our brain is designed to do. It's, you know, it's trying to protect us. It's at that base evolutionary level it's looking out for things that may be interesting to us may be um, threatening to us and it's basing its decisions as we are thinking we're computing really rational decision making purchases our brain is literally operating at a different level and the information it shows us and engages with is translating that Um, so it's a it's almost a sort of two level process that we're working through and the top level that we are consciously aware of is the tip of the iceberg it's the absolute minimum whereas all the good stuff is happening underneath that it might come in at the very end if you realize you can't afford the dress and when you're physically at the till something part of your rational brain kicks in and says sometimes don't buy this because you can't afford it but generally speaking most of that experience is deeply irrational and that's what makes it quite exciting I suppose that you know there, there is something sort of primeval and instinctive about all of this stuff something you said earlier really interested me because we've talked a lot about b2c business consumer retail and so on and so forth which we know is a, a leisure activity for people and perhaps the fact that it is somehow irrational is what makes it interesting and exciting but this has really good applications in the b2b sphere as well doesn't it because actually if we're doing requests for proposals and so on and so forth we're asking these things, we're making these you know, seven or eight or nine page documents that look super, super rational. We're inviting people in. But other things are happening, presumably even in that space, even in this most sort of strictured space, if you like, that we're pretending is an entirely rational process. It isn't there either, is it? It's not because we are human and yeah. every step of that process is involving humans. So mm. writing the the presentation or the pitch document 
the font we use will have an impact. The colour scheme we use, the images we use, the way we dress, the, you know, literally the, the first few moments when we meet somebody, it's all going to completely flood our brain with information that our brain will subconsciously use to form an opinion and to form an impression. Um, and those impressions will be what drive our future behaviour far more than the, the sort of su superficial, it sounds awful, but the superficial top layer of that process. So, yeah, we we don't hang our brains up on the way into work. We are still these evolutionary creatures when we arrive in the office and much as we try to apply ourselves and we've created very elaborate processes to try and cut out as much of that that sort of emotional, perhaps more risky side of many procurement processes, we can't. It's it's fundamental to us. And so the more we understand about what influences and shapes those processes, the more chance we have of being able to convey information in a way which is actually going to support them. So we can be much more intentional about the impressions and the perceptions that we create in the brain of our purchasers or you know the people who we are pitching or presenting to. Simon. We should remind our audience today that Katie is a course director at CAM. She runs a course on this stuff, neuromarketing. So I do commend it to you if you want to find out more. However, I'm hoping that today, Katie, you will reveal a few trade secrets of how marketers might start on this process. As we said at the top of the show, it's not something that everybody's done or even that everybody in the sector is in the herd of. And it's a new technology. It's an emerging technology. It's a cutting edge technology. Where do marketers start if they want to bring this into their departments or organisations? Uh, well, thankfully, there is an increasing amount of places that that are supporting this and are encouraging people to get involved. So um, I've been doing this for 15 years myself and it feels like now, finally, people are starting to become aware of this. Yeah. So there are there are places you can go to. Yes, absolutely. Please do come along to the um, masterclass course that I run. It'd be great to see you there. Um, however, there are lots of places now that you can go to to pick up on some of this. And I really would advocate that you you try it, you test it out for yourselves. Um, so in terms of practical places that you can go to, um, you know, like lots of good content, there are TED Talks that you can look up on this. Um, if you're particularly interested in finding out about the brain and some of these hacks and some of the challenges we have in terms of controlling our brain, um, Darren Brown did a fantastic audio, um, I think it was an audio book, it's certainly on Audible, which was called Boot Camp for the Brain. That is really interesting and really exciting. This is the guy who's a... a, 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 a a sort of magician stroke, uh, I don't know how you call him, hypnotist, a magician, stroke, hypnotist yeah. psychologist. He's had a big, he has a huge stage show in the West End, uh, TV yeah. shows if you've not come across him, really interesting guy. But he is actually a, a master of this sort of stuff, isn't he? He uses it for entertainment purposes much of the time, but actually the, the things that inform it, the triggers and the responses that inform it are, are, are actually applicable to marketers. Absolutely. And he does some wonderful content all about the way our brains are naturally wired to to serve us. But actually, in today's society, in today's world, they <laughs> they fall rather, rather short of that. So, yeah, that would definitely be one I'd suggest people look into if they're curious about the brain. If you kind of want to cut to the chase and just get some practical ideas that you can take away and apply yourself, um, really what the kind of the the godfather of neuromarketing is a gentleman called Roger Dooley 
Um, mm. And he wrote a brilliant book called Brainfluence. So it's influence, but with the IN is actually in brain. Um, and that is a hundred different techniques, hints, tips, things that you can go away and try and explore in your own marketing content and campaigns. Um, and some of them have the sort of neuroscience behind it if you're curious to understand why it works, but you don't have to you don't have to go to a geek level. You can you can right. start applying them, you can start to manipulate them and play with them yourselves and see what's going to have impact with your with your audience. I have to say, I'd be tempted to go to a geek level. So fascinating <laughs> is the subject. I'm sure people here today will be, think, will be really interested to dive in. There must be challenges of introducing it because it, it does come across. I mean, let's be honest, it does come across as a little bit of a dark art, doesn't it? You know, what you're actually saying is we're trying to tap into people's subconsciouses here. We're trying to learn about what they actually want rather than what they say they want, you know. We're not calling them liars. We're not calling them fantasists. But we are saying that humans generally aren't very good at being honest about their intentions because they themselves don't understand their intentions. Yeah. So when you're trying to bring this into organisation, you're saying, look, you know, these surveys are fine. All this stuff you do, all this research you do has some use. But if you really want to know your customer, You've got to use EEG. You've got to use eye movement responses. You've got to check the sweat levels on people's hands. That could be seen as quite challenging for some organisations. Yeah, absolutely it is. And sadly, if you're conducting primary research and going to utilise neuromarketing, it's not cheap. You know, these technologies yeah. aren't, aren't accessible for everybody yet. You know, they are being improved. They're being enhanced all the time. They're certainly portable. So I can put headsets on people and send them around a, a supermarket and, you know, monitor the way their brain is responding to the environment they're in. But it isn't cheap. So, um, yeah, I mean, you said it's a dark art. I would take issue with that, Ben, because it's it, this is science. You know, yeah. this is real physiological um, scientific base. And we've got the evidence. You know, I can do research and I can show people. And in fact, one case quite early on in my career of doing this, I had a marketing director who was really excited about bringing me into the business, but was meeting quite a bit of resistance within the organisation. Right. So um, he asked me to come and pitch to the board, which I did. And what we did is we actually wired up the members of the board for the duration while I did my presentation. <laughs> and I could pluck them off one by one. And yeah. I could I could deal with them. I could say, I could literally, that I took the finance director and said, I can see you are not engaged with what I'm telling you at the moment. You are not connecting wow. with this. And so, and I was able to literally live in front of me, use their biological responses to take them one at a time and say, this is how you're presenting. My suspicion is you've got a concern about that. If we talk this through, I could literally see their body um, adapting and changing until they reached a much more engaged, attentive, positive state. And I could, you know, I could show them it, show them it happening. And at that stage, <laughs> it's really hard to argue. Really yeah, hard to argue. Goodness me, we've all been in pictures like that with the FD, their <laughs> eyes are moving sort of across the room and you know they're thinking too expensive if only we all had these techniques on us oh, and we could actually address them at the time and say it Look. was a <laughs> it was a beautiful moment i tell you it was that, that, maybe not for him but i thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs> well, that is the, that is the way to to win a pitch isn't it being able to tell people exactly what they're thinking kind of proves your point 
it's exciting stuff, isn't it? I, I was being slightly facetious when I said dark art. It is, in fact, as you say, hard science. It is, it is the simple truth about human behaviour. Yeah. Um, and as marketers, we need to understand that. Um, You're right, because that's going to get more important. The more we've got AI and machine learning and things, the more it's going to be vital that we understand the human recipient, you know, the, the mm. human connection is going to be really pivotal for us. So I very much see that neuromarketing is going to become bigger and stronger because it is, you know, if we don't understand that decision-making process in the brain of somebody else, we can use all the tools and all the devices in front of us to enable us to, to write better content or to automate our marketing processes to them. But fundamentally, it's that human brain at the other end that is making that decision. There is something wonderfully human about it, actually, isn't there? There's something quite sort of emotively exciting and good about it. It's not something that can be mechanised in, in the same way as that you can with data and survey. In the same way that if we go to meet somebody for the first time, we can sometimes come home that evening and we know whether we liked them or not. We can't yeah. necessarily say why we liked them or not, or what the reasons for our liking them were, or what our reasons for disliking them were. We can't always rationalise it properly. Yep. We may try to find a justification, but we're actually very good at knowing whether there's been a connection between us as humans. Yep. Um, and, and, and that is what marketing really, in its essence, is about, isn't it? Creating a connection with your consumer. Yeah. And there's some lovely examples in neuroscience and neuromarketing where you can hack that. So I was actually talking to somebody earlier on today about um, one of the ways that we can create a very positive association with people that we're meeting for the first time is to get them to hold something warm. Now, right. it's a it's a very strange thing. But if you you know, normally we think that when we're offering people a, a drink or something, you know, it's just courteous and it's respectful. Actually, it goes so far beyond that. Um, because we can see in people's brains that when they hold something warm, a lot of the, the kind of mechanisms in our brains that are on alert for fear and threat actually diffuse slightly. So we, we kind of let our guard down a bit. So actually, when we're meeting people, giving them a, a warm drink or something to hold. So give them a mug rather than a cup and saucer, because if they're physically holding something warm, they literally, pardon the pun, will warm to you much quicker. So there are, you know, even if we are, try, if we're accepting that it's about that connection and knowing and understanding how we can form those connections with neuromarketing and neuroscience, we can we can influence that. We can hack some of those to our advantage. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's a remarkably, extraordinarily powerful tool if we can get to grips with it, isn't it? As marketers, it is. Yeah, absolutely, it is, and it's just. I mean, in neuroscience is growing by the day, the technology is getting better, we are learning so much. I mean, literally every day in my inbox, I've got journal articles being published about the latest finding, the latest research. So we are only going to get better and better at understanding the, the implications of the way our brain is structured, the opportunities that lie in that for us as marketers. And yeah, it's a very exciting time to be in this field, that's for sure. Certainly is. Well, that's Katie Hart, who is course director at CIM. She runs a neuromarketing course. She has been, I have to say, Katie, a fantastic guest. And I've learned so much and had such a great conversation. I know our audience will have enjoyed it today. And I'm sure many will be compelled to learn more about neuromarketing and perhaps join you on your course. Katie, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Will you come back on the show? 
course I will. I'd be delighted to. You're saying that and your eyes also tell me that you are telling the truth. So <laughs> your neurological responses agree with what you've said in this case. So I will look forward to welcoming you back. Please do come back. We want to hear more about this subject. Katie Hart, course director at CM. Thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. Thank you, Ben. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast. <laughs>